0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
1: well a very warm welcome to what is going to be a stunningly busy scorebox we are live in london jeff is in basel we've got a in frankfurt and, uh, well, the earnings season really peaking ahead of key central bank decisions later. So let's get straight into the headlines.
0: Well, we're waiting on Roche numbers just starting to trickle through here. A few things to focus on, both the diagnostics and the pharmaceutical business, and to what extent both of those divisions will have been hit by the decline in sales related to COVID-19. One of the major focuses on Roche numbers for us, and we will catch up with the CEO, Severin Schwann. It's a first-on CNBC interview at 10 past 8 CET.
1: Deutsche Bank is also on tap this morning with investors looking to see whether the German lender hits its restructuring targets. We are going to hear from the CFO, James von Moltke, at 7.30 CET.
2: The Federal Reserve takes its foot off the pedal, delivering its smallest rate hike in a year, while signaling plans to hike again in March, despite cooling inflation.
3: While recent developments are encouraging, we will need substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is on a sustained, downward path."
2: The Bank of England and the European Central Bank unveil their own rate decisions today as Eurozone inflation eases for a third straight month. We'll speak to the BOE Governor Andrew Bailey at 1600 GMT.
1: Right, let's kick this off as well. We've already got a CEO waiting in the wings. Uh, Year-to-date rose shares down 3.8% as well. Lots of data coming from the group as well, including the fact that they expect a decrease in group sales in low... Uh, single-digit range at constant exchange rates going forward as well. They're proposing a divvy of 9.5 Swissi per share. Core earnings per share rising by 5%, 2% in Swiss Uh, francs. Diagnostic division sales growing 3%. Pharmaceutical division growing 2% as well. Group sales grow by 2% at constant exchange rate, CER, and 1% in Swissi, despite lower COVID-19-related sales in both divisions. One more for you, Uh, Roche reports. Good results. Results, So say they, on the top of their headlines, uh, despite declining demand for COVID-19 project, uh, products. That is the headlines. Let's get to Jeff live in Basel.
0: Yeah, Steve, thank you very much indeed for that. I think the market has uh, already factored in a lot of the cliff edge for COVID sales. Obviously, they're involved in the diagnostic kits, to test whether you have the disease and other antiviral products related to treatment of COVID. And it was anticipated that those sales in both segments for Roche were going to decline. I think what will be interesting as we get into the weeds with Severin Schwan is just what the promise is of some of the new pipeline drugs. Ultimately, there's a whole slew of cancer drugs like Pegetta, Hemlibra and Tocentric, um, which are all related to either cancer or haemophilia treatment. And it'll be, um, I think, important to hear from him how much progress they are making in commercialising those particular products here. Also, as we come away from the pandemic and healthcare systems try to re-establish the focus on non-infectious diseases, what is the expectation for full year 2023 in terms of the pick-up in sales that they may see for individual products. And you, you heard yesterday how uh, Vaz Narasimhan at Novartis was critical of IRA and the desire to reduce uh, drug prices in the United States. That would obviously hit uh, margins over there. Maybe Roche is slightly less dependent on some of those same product areas. But it is a question that I will put to Severin Schwan as we have that conversation in about an hour's time. Steve, back to you.
2: I'll pick it up, Jeff. A lot of earnings rolling through, including from ING, fourth quarter and for the full year. Just to give you the line for 2022, uh, 3.67 billion is the net result that you've seen for the year. Final 2022, dividend of 0.389 euros per share declared. For the fourth quarter, the profit before tax, billion. CET1 ratio remaining strong at 14.5 and uh, the company talking about high net interest income with a further increase in liability margins helping offset the Teltro impact this quarter. I'm going to pick up on that point with Tanata Futrakul who joins us now, the CFO of ING. Thank you very much for joining us. It looks like it was a very challenging year. You can see that in the commentary but also some pauses with the increase in net income thanks to higher interest rates but the Teltro effect going in the opposite direction. Just run us through some of the complexities and how that final three months of the year rounded out the year for you.
3: Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, Good morning. It's been an extraordinary year for us, you know, with the war in Russia, high rates, uh, inflation, energy crisis. And with that context in mind, we are very pleased with how our year has gone, in particular in the fourth quarter. And as you mentioned, rising uh, base rate by the ECB has meant that our net interest income is up 17% year on year. So, robust revenue, good cost discipline, modest risk costs, and very strong capital levels, so uh, it's been, in that context, very pleasing to see our results.
2: Tanata, it is ECB days, so we're all mindful of what the implications are for the banking sector. Another 50 basis points potentially baked in. If I look at the various parts of business, you had core lending growth of 18 billion euros over the full year, also net deposits that were improving as well. What does another 50 basis points, if it happens today, mean for the business?
3: Well, um, the, the expected 50 basis points means that the momentum that you see in net interest income will continue to rise. ING is one of the biggest deposit gatherer in the eurozone among European banks and with rising rates that bodes well in terms of net interest income for us. Having said that, of course, rising rates also mean that uh, you do see a drop off in terms of loan demands as affordability becomes more challenging for consumers. So that is what we also see in Q4, is that loan demand is slowing across the board. It's still growing, but it's growing at a lower pace than uh, perhaps we've seen historically prior to this situation.
1: say very good morning to you. Loan demand is slowing, uh, still impressive, as you say. Uh, but actually, is loan availability something that you're looking at now as well as rates go up and delinquencies potentially start to pick up as well?
3: Yeah, it's something that we watch carefully, of course, uh, being a, a big lender in the eurozone. But having said that, our non-performing loan ratio remains very modest. In, in fact, it's one of the best uh, loan performance in terms of uh, NPL in the eurozone. And we, we do not, as of Q4, see any pickup in uh, delinquencies that we were expecting. So the, the portfolio remains resilient.
1: In terms of where the sector goes forward from here, Tanate, I'm very interested. What do you want to see from the authorities in terms of progress on banking union as well? I've spoken to many CEOs recently and CFOs like yourself as well. And everyone's, I've got to be honest, a little bit frustrated at the pace of reform on A, banking union, B, capital markets as well. And actually, they say it's basically a death knell at the moment to cross border transactions.
3: Yeah, I I think the the progress on banking union legislation has been slow, um, but we're not counting for that. We're really having a very much an organic growth strategy. During the course of uh, 2022, we grew our own primary customer by almost 600,000 customer, and that's our go-to strategy in terms of client acquisition, organic growth in our major markets, continued growth in terms of our primary customer, and that's what we're focused on. And if banking union were to happen, I think we're well positioned as ING to benefit from it, operating in a number of very large uh, European economies. But we're not counting on it in terms of executing our strategy.
2: Tanata, it's been a very difficult environment. Inflation is still a challenge. When we look at Europe, we've had some numbers rolling across even over the course of this week telling us pricing pressures remain. As you look at the banking business, and I know you've been trying to manage costs, expenses, but you also look across the macroeconomic environment. Just describe what you're seeing.
3: Well, we, we see high inflation pressure. I think our cost numbers for 2022 remain flat, right? That our cost compared to 21 has remained flat, but taking aside some exceptional items, our cost growth has been, remained modest in light of inflation, but that's uh, partly because of the good management in terms of uh, that we do in terms of uh, cost efficiency programs, but it says definitely something that we're watching, which is uh, how to remain cost efficient, remain digital, continue to digitize our processes, and that's what we're focused on.
1: You're a stunningly busy man today of all days, and we always appreciate speaking to you and learning a little bit more. So, thank you very much indeed for your time, sir. Uh, Tanate Futriko, who is the CFO of ING. Well, Deutsche Bank, meanwhile, has reported a 65% increase in full year pre tax profit. That is the highest in 15 years. Net revenues rose by 7%, but the German lender's cost income ratio declined with the bank also setting aside provision for credit losses of 1.2 billion euros. Uh, We are going to hear from CFO James von Moltke, later in the show. Do not miss that interview. That is coming up at 7.30 CET. 20 minutes of time. I'm
2: just looking at the Santander numbers actually and one of the first points, the first highlights of the period, they're effectively talking about some of the taxes that they're paying in Spain also in the UK. So I think that's fascinating here. Uh, yeah. Santander posting a beat in the fourth quarter, reporting net profit of 2.29 billion euros compared to a 2.07 billion euro forecast. The bank says it is targeting double digit revenue growth for this year and that it sees its CET1 ratio for the year above 12%. Plenty more detail though. We're going to break all this down a little bit later on the show. We'll be speaking to the Executive Chairman of Santander, Anna Botin. that is coming up your way at 8.15 CET, first on CNBC, naturally.
1: We spent a lot of time over last year talking about various reorganisations at Credit Suisse trying to drive clients into wealth management activities, asset management activities, and away from investment banking as well. Well, they go up against the, the people who have been specialising that for a very long time, including... Julius Baer. Julius Baer is the one bank in Europe where you can look at their price to book. Quite frankly, uh, and see U.S. type comparisons. It is, um, without doubt, that I think one of the highest publicly listed companies in terms of valuation, uh, trading at a 1.8 times price to book as well. And yet. And yet the latest numbers out from Julius Baer, well, they look quite challenged, actually. The 2022 adjusted cost-income ratio, I mean, it looks high, the cost, 65.9 as opposed to a target, which is below 67, but I wouldn't say that that's the most demanding target of all time, I've got to be honest. But the problem is that profits have slumped 12% in 2022 net profit, cautious client activity being somewhat offset by an increase in net interest income, something that Karen was raising, of course. With Tanate Futurko just now, net profit dropped to 950 million Swissi from 1.08 billion, while assets under management fell 12 percent. And that's interesting. They're saying it's due to corrections in global stock and bond markets. I'm just wondering,
2: is retail the better place to be in the banking space at this point? I mean, we've seen a lot of investment banking numbers also roll through asset management numbers in the last couple of days. And as we take another look at Julius Baer and compare and contrast to what we've had from ING, we've got Santander out this morning, um, we have had BBVA yesterday. Is retail the better place to be because of the net interest income and also the deposit side?
1: Um, I think you make some brilliant points. I think valuation-wise, the market might argue with you when you look at the asset managers. When you look at a cost-income ratio, the market would agree with you because um, it is stunningly higher than you will get in retail-facing operations as well. When it comes to delinquencies, the market would disagree with you. But when it comes to, you know, your exposure to HNWs, the market would agree. So I think it's actually there to play for. I think valuation-wise clearly, asset management it makes bucket loads of money, but you've got higher costs as well. And again, you are more uh, open to the oscillations of market, but perhaps less open to the oscillations of the underlying economy with the underlying consumer. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a score draw.
2: What we really need is another big volatile year where investors want to get in and trade certain assets. Yesterday, well, I know yeah, some of the traders say were saying that, this was a big day but then they trading. get all
1: funny about it when we have a volatile year, saying, oh, our clients don't like the volatility in the market. Not so. too
2: much, enough to trade in and out, right? that There's moves a the equities locked uh, volatility, portfolio,
1: Absolutely. Right. On a programming note, the CEO of Julius Baer, Philipp Reckenbacher, will join us later this morning to discuss the numbers. Uh, That one is coming up at five past eight Central European time. Uh, Coming up on the show, the C-Suite The Express continues here on Scorebox. We're going to speak to Jochen Schmitz, CFO of Siemens Healthineers, about the company's fourth quarter report card after this.
2: And for more on the latest earnings, check out the Squawk Box podcast.
1: Right, I, you won't believe this, but I've actually flogged someone in the break because it's the first quarter numbers from Siemens Health and Ears, not the fourth quarter. Uh, and it's a tough quarter. Look, it's tough comparisons, of course, because of these slower sales of COVID 19 antigen tests. And uh, they've had delays at one of their suppliers as well, out of its variant business. So let me just give you the numbers quickly. First quarter adjusted EBIT down 28%, but the margins are tougher as well. Adjusted EBIT margin 12.7 versus year earlier of 17.6. I don't want to bang on about too many results when I've got the the man himself waiting in the wings, Jochen Schmitz, is the CFO of Siemens Health and Ears. Jochen, lovely to see you. Um, I get why the adjusted eBit is down. I get the comparisons. My perhaps concern is the fact that the margins are being hit so much as well, So, Good morning.
4: Good morning. First of all, um, I, I'm super happy about the business momentum. Yeah, we see on a continuous basis double digit order intake uh, increase and in growth, and that is, uh, sets up us to confirm our outlook in all regards. Uh, and when you look X antigen which we always communicated, we grow the business for the full year with 6 to 8% and we will grow EPS uh, double digit. Yeah? So I'm, I'm very, very happy about the Q1 results, I have to say.
1: Yeah? I'll just dig in again, sir. Why has the margin come off so aggressively?
4: And clearly, it is the main driver is uh, the antigen uh, topic. Secondly, uh, we have still higher than in last Q1 higher uh, supply chain cost, and then China played a role. Yeah? China was hit hard by by the pandemic in the first two months, lockdowns. In the sec in the third months, then the hospitals were flooded uh, with infected uh, people, and therefore no regular business was taking place in hospitals, which affected also our diagnostic business. Yeah? But this is from our standpoint, uh, almost behind us, and we expect a much better uh, growth momentum coming out of China. And We have seen that already in the order intake in the last quarter.
2: Jochen, what is the future of those antigen tests? I mean, how are you thinking about it? I think we've all got them lying around somewhere. Uh, They're not used that much these days. There's still concerns, though, the China situation could bring new variants. So how are you thinking about this uh, for the long term?
4: Yeah, we, we always were very clear that we do not see this as a long-term portion of our business. Last year we made uh, 1.5 billion of revenue with it. Uh, our outlook for this year is 100 million and we achieved 60 million in the first quarter. And we believe that the 100 million is, is a realistic number for the full fiscal year. So we do not bang our strategy on antigen.
2: Can I ask you about acquisitions at this point? Because there was a line that you are potentially considering the acquisition of two units being spun off by Medtronic. Do you want to just weigh in on on where you're at in that process if you are interested?
4: Uh, first of all, I think, uh, obviously, we did not talk about th- such things in, in public, somebody, somebody else did, Yeah, um, and we are very, very happy with our portfolio. We have a very strong portfolio across the board, yeah? and uh, we, we just did a major acquisition uh, – it's one and a half years ago now, but I think it was a major one – and we are still digesting and uh, getting the value out of it, uh, so you should not see us uh, moving in, in Big steps in the near future. Jochen,
2: yeah. can I ask you about pricing in the industry? Because we had a terrific line yesterday from Vasner or about uh, pricing in the drugs business. That on the back of the last couple of years, that some of the prices are somewhat elevated at this point. So he is cautious around acquisitions. As we look at your segment, a very different segment, what are you saying? What do you think pricing is doing?
4: Uh, we see uh, really uh, a completely shift in 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 the way pricing is is behaving Uh, we are used to be in a price erosion environment under normal circumstances with the inflation kicking in we now maneuvered our business into a price accretion environment on the equipment side and that works extremely well we measure that very clearly on the order intake and due to the fact that we have some lead time between order intake and revenue it takes some time until it finds its way into the P&L or the revenue line, but we see a good momentum and we have seen the first results also in the imaging segment already this quarter.
1: Uh, Jochen, I, th- I think we're all excited about the progress you can make with the, the Varian operation on, uh, as you says on your, the Varian website, addressing the complete cancer care continuum as well. What's been the problem at Varian with the supplier and has that been resolved, sir?
4: Yeah, I mean, this is a, a known topic with a single supplier, which which affected our Q4 results and also our Q1 results. As we indicated, this is resolved now, and we have seen already good momentum in December and are very very confident about a, a strong uh, strong quarter in, in Q2. Yeah.
1: Um, where are you most excited about in, in the kind of the, the growth going forward? There's amazing from medical images to laboratory diagnostics, clinical solutions. We we know the business by now as well. But in terms of where you see the greatest growth in revenues uh, and perhaps the most exciting from a science point of view as well, Jochen, where should our viewers get excited?
4: Um, I mean, When you look, we have a broad portfolio. And I think our uh, particular, I would say, uh, value proposition lies in the combination of what we call digital twinning of defining the i would say the characteristics of a patient and bring this into precision therapy via digital data and ai and i think this is a unique setup we have you know, because we have the digital twinning capabilities with imaging and diagnostics we have a uh, uh, large offerings on, on the precision therapy side with variant and advanced therapies and then we have in our industry I would say the largest backbone in in digitalization and, and artificial intelligence and this is where I'm super excited about and this will lead Considering all the challenges in the healthcare system, to future growth for us and and and, and uh, for us in in those fields.
2: Jochen, I wanted to ask you about AI actually, but we heard so much about it in the last couple of weeks. Where do you see this going in terms of your business? Do you need to be buying certain technology to fold into the business, or is it available else that out there through other partners that you can simply just tap into for your purposes?
4: Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of uh, our own capabilities, which are very broad and deep in this field. And we do this for more than two decades on our own. I mean, as you know, our business in imaging, for example, is a digital business. The outcome of of every imaging or every scan you take is a digital result. Yeah, and we have long lasting experience with reading and interpreting images, for example, with machine learning and AI. Uh, And it's about partnerships. Yeah, you also make use of the I would say at light speed developing technologies in this field and the combination of both our own capabilities with with what is available in the marketplace will bring meaningful solutions to our customers.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market
1: moving news you can head to cnbc.com
2: or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.